I want to look just about uh, the fervent love, fervent love for the brethren, fervent love for one another. And so love first starts in the house of God. So I want you to have a look at this verse with me now in uh, Matthew, sorry, 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. But above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Lack of love, of course, will judge the multitude of sins. How many know there's a multitude of failures and mistakes made by people in the church? Huh? See? But love can give grace to help that. Now, notice here it says love. Loving God is expressed in how we relate to and connect with people. And so the Bible tells us we're the family of God. So when you got born again, you got born into the family of God. So you can call God Father. And, but probably the person next to you is calling God Father too. And the one down the back there is calling God Father. So all of us come, we call God Father, makes us brothers and sisters or part of a family. And Peter is saying here, notice there, above all things, uh, fervent love one for one another. Now that means above all spiritual experiences, fervent love. Above all your theology and Bible things you may know, fervent love. Or he's saying above everything else, the highest thing of all that indicates our walk with God is how we relate with people. And he's saying above everything else, there needs to be a fiery, fervent, passionate, reaching out to help kind of love towards firstly the family of God. God wants us to strengthen His family. Just like if you have a family, uh, people who come to you, you want them also to embrace your family. Because that's where there's a bit of a problem, because people love Jesus, but we're not too impressed with His family. You know, your friends you choose, they say, but your family you have. Uh, and same with the family of God. We're born into the family of God. God puts us in the local church, and you end up as people you would never meet in normal life. Remember, coming from uh, uh, from an educated background and university environment and thrust into Danny Burke into a group of people that not one of them had any kind of skill and qualification. I thought, well, all my life I'd never meet such a bunch of people. But it was where God placed me to learn about loving people, learn about dealing with high-mindedness and pride, and to learn how God wants us to have a passionate love for one another. Because when you love God's family, you are expressing your love for Him. You notice when Paul attacked the church, Jesus confronted him and says, why do you persecute me? So he identifies with his family deeply. Just the same as you would. Someone attacks a family member, you would be highly defensive. Jesus also is highly defensive of his family. When, Peter, when Paul attacked the family of God, Jesus confronted him and said, why are you opposing or standing against or persecuting me? In other words, his hostile actions to Christians were judged or deemed or viewed by God to be hostile acts to him. So when you think about now how you connect with Christians, Christians can be the most difficult of all people to relate to. It shouldn't be that way, but it often is. I mean, say amen. Yeah? They're annoying sometimes. They do things which are weird sometimes. They do things which upset us sometimes. You oughtn't do that. That's the kind that, that, we, that happens. Is that not true? And uh, so they're not very easy to relate to. But Jesus sees them as family and calls us to mature in our faith in a family by expressing love one to another. 
Now, of course, we just don't mind Jesus. It's all His people that cause His family are the problem for us. It's the truth, isn't it? You think of all the people who hurt in your life, probably it's the Christians who hurt you the most, <laughs> apart from the other ones that were there as well. But you see, the thing is that God wants us to love His family. Fervent love. Notice this, above all things. So it doesn't matter to me so much what kind of great spiritual experience you've had. What I really want to know is do you love people? And particularly, do you love God's family? Above all things. That means from the Bible point of view, this is higher than everything else, apart from being higher than loving God. It's loving His family. Notice it's found, the same thing's found in 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere or unpretending or authentic love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. So God's calling us to love His people. To love people of God fervently. To love people and have a fire in it. Not a cool, distant, remote, oh, how are you? God bless you kind of deal. But to actually really love God's people. To celebrate God's people. To welcome God's people. What does it look like? It's not about fuzzies. It actually always boils down to a heart attitude, then words and actions. So in our heart attitude to one another, let us demonstrate a fervent love for God's family. Now, you may not like God's family, but if you love God, then He says, I want you to love my family. They're my family. They will be forever in heaven. What are you going to do in there when you get to heaven? If you're angry and upset and mad at someone in my family, and there they are forever. Hey? So we don't mind God, it's living below with the saints we know are the problems. <laughs> so he says, love people fervently. You've purified your souls in obeying the truth. Now notice he said that actually our soul, that's our mind, our thought life, our attitudes, our emotions, become clean and changed as we obey what God says to do. And God says, this is how the world will know you're my disciples. It's because you love one another. Why does he say, well, it's, you know, you love, this is how the world will know you're my followers uh, because of great miracles and things. He doesn't say that. That's what you think he'd say. But actually history shows that people can see miracles and they still walk away from God. But one thing that can never, ever be denied is authentic, passionate love. You can't deny it. And people long for it. People understand that family ought to be like that. They understand that God's family ought to be like that. That's why when it's not like that, it's so distressing because we understand that God's family is called to love one another so we can demonstrate the loving nature of our Father. You know, they kind of have that sort of statement, he's just a chip off the old block, meaning he looks and behaves like his dad. Well, we're to look and behave like our dad, who was a loving person. We're to carry the loving DNA and reflect that in the way we relate to people. That's what God is looking for. And he says, when people see that, it cannot be denied. It can't be denied that there is something different in your lives. When you love people, they don't understand authentic love. They always think there's an agenda in it. You notice here it says, love one another with a sincere or authentic love, not a pretending love where you covered up the fact that you're angry, irritated, resentful, but you've got junk in your heart against someone. This is an authentic love. See, unfeigned, sincere, fervent love with a pure heart. There are no agendas in it. 
So the love of God has got no agendas. Now we have learned in life that if people are kind to us, we're kind to them. Uh, we learn if we're good to people, people are good to us. So if they're good to us, we'll be good to them. And we kind of work this thing, if people deserve it, we'll be good to them. If they don't deserve it, we won't be good to them. Now this is the way the world thinks. The love of God is much higher than that. And so in Luke chapter 6, uh, around about verse 38 it says, if you love those who love you, what evidence is there that God's grace is anywhere in your life? None. Even unsaved people can do that. If you're kind to those who are kind to you, what evidence is there that the grace of God is operating in your life? None whatsoever because the unsaved people can do that. If you lend hoping to get something back, what evidence of the grace of God is in your life? None whatsoever because even unsaved people can do that. In other words, he's saying that in the world, the operating system is, if you do something for me, then I won't remain indebted. I'll do something for you. That's how it operates. It's a different operating system. But in the kingdom of God, we are a loving person. So God says then in, that, in, in Luke 6, he says, if you, love those who, who, uh, if you love those who hate you or love your enemies, if you bless those who despise you, uh, or curse you, is if you're kind to people who don't deserve it, then are you the sons of your Father in heaven? So your identity as a child of God is expressed by being like God to people. Not treating them like they deserve to be treated, but treating them like they don't deserve to be treated, like God treats them. Because the Bible said while we were still sinners, Jesus came into this world, God demonstrated His love. That while we were sinners, he still gave sacrificially. So love of God has a heart that welcomes people, not judges them, and gives generously to people when they don't deserve it. That is the love of God. It's got nothing to do about whether people deserve anything. It's actually who God is. So our way of operating love is, if I get something, I'll give something. That's not love, that's a barter, that's an exchange. The love of God gives, and it gives without an agenda. It's not trying to get something back. It's not trying to obtain something, not trying to get a favor. It just is a giving, generous love, and it produces a wonderful fruit of its own. And what the Bible says is we are to love one another fervently because that's how the world recognizes the power of God in our life is very real. You, you do something to someone in the world, who's unsaved, unchurched, you do something and there's no agenda just to bless them, they, they, they get puzzled. They actually will usually ask you, well, well, why did you do that? And you say, I just wanted to show you that God is kind and good to people and I'm just being kind. Well, surely there's something in it for you. No, no, there's nothing in it for me. Like, it just is not understood easily because it's not the way the world operates. And so the first place to start loving or practicing loving is in the family of God. And that's often the hardest place because in family we become familiar with one another. We get to know one another and familiarity breeds contempt. And so then we start to judge, despise and have attitudes to one another. And God tells us very clearly we are fervently to love one another. Why? Because if we love one another, His love will be manifest in us and through us we'll experience a culture and environment that's very healthy. Secondly, if we love one another and we walk in unity like that, then what happens is heaven opens up and favor comes in every area of our lives, individually and corporately. When we love one another, we are manifesting what God is like. So the question is not what people are like, it's what you are like. The question is not what people do, it's what do you do. 
The question is not what kind of person someone else is, the question is whether you are becoming the person God wants you to be, a loving person. Well here's the problem, you don't feel like loving people sometimes. In fact actually feel quite miserable, feel like walking away from them, feel like hiding from them, feel like actually snapping at them. <laughs> because sometimes people are not nice, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? And have you actually feel sometimes quite negative towards people? Like we'd rather hide at the back of a cave and just not come out, just leave me alone. Or you don't want to talk to people, you don't want to, or actually you want to avoid people, or, or you just start to bip, 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 bip about people, nipping away at them. You see, that, that's common kind of thing. You notice here it tells us then it's by the Spirit. So for us to be like Christ, to us to love the people around us, it's very difficult. In fact, you can't do it unless you have the power of the Holy Ghost. How about you look at Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, interesting verse here, it says, Therefore, being justified, verse 1, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith to this grace in which we stand, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. And that says, Now, verse 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad out of our hearts by the Holy Ghost who was given to us. Now I want you to see something here. The Bible says, by faith you have access into the presence of God. All of us have that access. And not only do we have access to God, we have access to the grace of God. The grace of God is His empowering ability to enable us to do what He wants us to do, to be the kind of people He wants us to be. And so we can't be the people God wants without the grace of God. We must have God's presence and power in our life. Without the presence and power in our life, you're just trying hard like everyone else. It's true. You're trying hard to be a good person, and it's flipping hard to be a good Christian, if you hadn't noticed. Seems like there's all these things you've got to do, and you don't want to do half them anyway. Have you noticed? Just feels like it's more stuff to do. But that's not how God has called us to operate. He's called us to have connection with Him where there's a grace, there's an empowerment which is supernatural coming out of relationship. Listen, if you don't have the power, life, and flow of the Holy Ghost, how can you be a good Christian? It's impossible. You just be mean and nasty like everyone else at times, and then good on Sundays while you're in church. You know, but in the car park, it's another thing. I've seen people, they come in here, lift their hands up, worship God, they go out, and then they're snarling at someone because they snuck in front of them trying to get out of the car park. <laughs> Just a minute ago, worshiping God, <laughs> biting away at someone who's a part of the family of God. That's a strange sort of behavior, isn't it, really? It goes on, though, doesn't it? So that's it. And you notice here, it can't be done without the power of the Holy Ghost. And so it says here, now the love of God is shed abroad or flows or the love, the loving nature and love of God is manifest in us by the person of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have an overflow. I like what Amanda was sharing about, an overflow. The Christian life is an overflow of experiencing God. So if you get far away from God, and we don't have an atmosphere of God, and we get separated from the person of the Holy Spirit, it's hard yakka. It's very hard. Pretty soon, you want to go back smoking and drinking again. 
And you probably do, but you just don't tell anyone. Turn up and smell of the smoke. Everyone knows what you're up to. Smile and worship God and carry on. You know, that's not the life God has for us, you know. God has a different life, the Holy Spirit flowing through us. So for me to manifest the loving nature of God, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. You cannot be the God kind of person you should be without the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about it. It's impossible. You just try hard and then eventually you fail. Now I want to show you something else in Romans chapter 8. So how is it then that that life of the Spirit flows? In verse 2 it says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free of the law of sin and death. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now let's just pick this up. It tells us there are two laws that operate. There's a law called the law of sin and death. So when you sin, you have problems. Have you noticed? Everyone notices that. So there's a law, and that law is in us all the time. There's always a tendency to sin. Just like as you get older, everything tends to sag. As life goes on, you tend to sin. That's how it works. There's, it's a law. There's a law of gravity pulls everything down. There's a law of sin pulls us down. How many know t- today you're feeling good? Five minutes time out of church, you may just as easily fall into sin, just like that. You can't ignore it. It's just like it doesn't go away. It's ever-present with us. But we don't have to live under that. We can actually walk in victory. And it says that there's another way of walking in victory. And it's not a lot of do's and don'ts. Thou shalt do this. It's actually the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. Like the law of gravity will pull a plane down. But the law of aerodynamics, when you operate it, woof, it overcomes gravity. Gravity's still there, but there's something bigger operating. So he said there's a spirit of life in the Holy Ghost. Now notice what he says here. God puts another anointing, He puts His Spirit in us so that the power of the Holy Ghost can cause us to live the kind of right life God wants us to be like. Now notice what else it says here. It says, now it, this happens for those who, who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now here's the difference. When you set your mind, your affection, your thoughts, your attention on the things of the flesh, automatically you start to fall down to your lower nature and sin. When you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, on the Holy Spirit is life and love and nature, you begin automatically to lift up and flow in a different flow. But you choose where your mind goes. So someone is unkind to you. Immediately you feel hurt, rejected, or feel some kind of negative thing. You have to decide whether you will keep your mind on the offense. That's on the flesh. Or whether you will set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now, what are the things of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. See, if we will set our mind towards God, He will then enable His life to flow through us. So, someone annoys you, well, you can choose to stay annoyed and let it grow into anger, or you can choose to release them and say, Lord, I just help me to see that person like you see them. Help me to have a different perspective. Help me to just love them and handle the situation. Lord, you handle it through me. So you redirect your mind and attention consciously to the Word and Spirit of God, and as you do that, you begin to respond differently to the situation. 
someone hurts you, you begin to think about it, soon it's growing, you're feeling resentful, you're feeling angry, and then you're all wound up over something someone did. You have set your mind on the flesh, so you're a mess. Welcome to the world you chose. It's true. You live in, we live in a fallen world. There's only one way we can walk in victory over the stuff that goes on, whether it be in the church or outside the church, is if we walk in the Spirit. Those who walk in the Spirit, they've got God's acceptance, grace, and favor. The presence of God is on them. The power of God is on them. And a lot of it has to do with where we fix our attention. You fix your attention on negatives, you will go into the flesh. Set your attention on the things of God and the Spirit of God and what God is doing. And you notice life and peace. There's a flow of peace comes into our heart. There's a flow of life comes into our heart. So something happens and you get a bit of a setback. Normally you get resentful and angry, but if you can say, well, Lord, I just bring that setback to you. I thank you, Lord. I just yield and surrender that to you. And I thank you, Holy Spirit. You're now flowing through me to help me manage and handle my feelings, the situation I have. Thank you, Lord. You're giving me grace right now. And as you start to flow into the realm of the Spirit that way, the life of God flows. It's not very hard. It's just people don't do it. God put His Spirit in you so you could live a different life. But to live the different life, we have to choose to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. It's a conscious day-by-day choice to take time to meditate on the Word of God, to take time to be conscious of the presence of God, to let your mind and thoughts go towards the Lord. Because if you don't, your mind will go elsewhere. And when it goes elsewhere, you get out of the Spirit and into the flesh. And when you get into the flesh, you have many, many problems. You'll see an example of that. We'll just finish with this story. I want you to have a look with me just quickly into Genesis chapter 4. And you see how uh, um, Cain had a, had, a, had a choice to make of what he could do, what he would do when he faced a disappointment. Now, you know Cain and Abel, and uh, it said, uh, and we won't give it all, we'll just pick it up around about verse 5. And it said, the Lord did not respect Cain or his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, you'll be accepted. If you do not well, sin lies at the door. It's desirous for you. You should rule over it. Now you see, Cain had offered an offering to the Lord, but his heart was not right. And what he did was not what God had told him he needed to do. And so God didn't give the same approval to him as he gave to his brother Abel. And, and Cain got upset. Firstly, he felt rejected. Secondly, he got angry. Thirdly, he got resentful at his brother having a better situation than he had. And so his countenance fell. What was in his heart, what he had set his mind on, now it caused an expression in his life. Now, then God says to him, now listen, sin is at the door waiting for a chance to nail you and get into your life. Choose to rule over it. How do you rule over it? Well, you need to get your mind back towards God change your mind about what's happened. Instead of feeling angry and irritated and everything else and resentful to your brother, set your mind back to find out from God what to do and then align with God. Then the other thing will come right. Instead of that, he did something else. He had an opportunity to set his mind on the things of the Spirit. Instead of that, he began to think about his brother getting ahead of him. He began to feel resentful about that. And then it says here in verse uh, for it says, verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and while it came to pass while they were in the field, Cain rose against his brother and killed him. Now, this is two brothers. This is the same family. This is two brothers in the same family, and they're talking together. And Abel had no idea that while his brother is talking with him, there's murder in his heart. And it's like many people. They have murder in the heart. The Bible says, if you hate your brother, 
you have murder in your heart. People who are in jail for murder had anger and hatred in their heart. They had their mind set on the flesh and they covered it over with a veneer until it could not be hidden and then suddenly it broke out and what was in their heart and they, usually they say something like this, I don't know what came over me. But actually it's very simple what came over them, what was the seeds in their heart where they'd set their mind and thoughts. He had a choice to set his mind on the things of the spirit or the things of the flesh and when he put it on the things of the flesh then the flesh came to life and manifested. See, what a terrible thing. It's, in the Bible there's a number of stories like that. Of David said people spoke nicely to them but there was war in the heart. Absalom, uh, the Bible tells us Absalom took his brother out for a meal and afterwards killed him. But while they were eating and fellowshipping and the brother felt safe and secure, this brother had war in his heart and meant to murder him. Uh, Joab in the Bible, it says he went out and he kissed Abner. And while he kissed him, he pulled his sword out and stuck it in him like that. Uh, Jesus sat down and he washed the feet of, uh, of, uh, of Judas. And while he's washing Judas' feet, Jesus got war in his heart against Jesus. When you have war in your heart, your mind is set on the things of the flesh. It won't be long before sin manifests. So often we can have unresolved conflicts, offenses, irritations, perceived injustices, all kinds of things in our heart. And they may be real, they may be imagined, they may be greater or lesser than what. But here's the thing, you decide whether you nurse the hurt or set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you are empowered to rise above the situation and manifest quite differently to it. But every day we have to choose where we're going to man what we're going to do. Notice here what happened. And the Lord said to, to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay. Now notice the thing. Cain had fixed his mind on negative feelings. Pretty soon destruction happened. Second thing is that when God came to him, God said, where's your brother? Where is your brother? Hey, I don't know. He lied to God about the condition of his brother. Where is your brother? Where is the person? that you're in connection with. What is happening? When God asks, where's your brother? He's asking about the relationship. Where's your brother? Okay. And, and then Cain covered it over. And then he asked the question, he challenged God, virtually insulted God. He said, are you expecting me to be my brother's keeper? God never even answered it, but he does expect us to care for our brethren. He expects it. And he said, your brother's blood cries from the ground. I'm hearing your brother's cry. I know what you did to him. And so we could stand and pray and ask God to bless this and bless that and bless whatever. But then if we've spoken and we've come into agreement with negative words and spoken critical words against someone, brother's blood cries from the ground. When you release anger against someone, when you begin to nut off and have unrestrained anger, you're releasing spirits of murder and violence and death into that person. And your brother's blood cries to the Lord for justice. Come on, think about this. When you gossip someone or criticize someone behind their back, you are destroying them, you're murdering their reputation. You're imparting death into their relational network. And their brother's blood cries to the Lord for vengeance or for something to happen. Think about that. When we get and talk with one another and we gossip and criticize and run someone down, we are in agreement. Two people on agreement on earth, it releases something in the heavens. If you're in agreement about negative things, you release demons to come against people. And then they find they're under pressure, under attack. They've got no idea what's coming around them. All they know is their life just got harder because of this tormenting stuff coming around them. They've got no idea where it came from. 
I can remember one day and I was feeling that and, and I couldn't work out why, everything, why I was under such demonic pressure and attack. And, and so I got in the spirit and I started to pray and I said, what is this, Lord? And I looked and a face came up in front of me and I knew who it was and what they were doing. I saw them and I heard what they were saying. Think about that. See, these voices that we speak when we think no one hears are heard in heaven. Demons hear them. So when you start to bless the body of Christ, when you take the word of God and you speak over the body of Christ, you speak over people what God says about them, you speak and declare the very best. You begin to take the word of God and declare it. You are releasing grace and blessing and the angels to work. But when you start to speak negatively and speak failures and speak this, what you're doing is releasing demons to work. That's the truth. Then we come and we pray, God bless me. But our brother's blood is crying to the Lord. And do something about that. We need to love one another. We need to love one another. Okay? Am I my brother's keeper? Actually, we have responsibility to one another in the body of Christ. Not to just do our own thing, but to care for one another, and lift up one another, and help one another, and be kind to one another. And, and be generous to one another, and bless one another, and speak well of one another. As often as we have opportunity, do well to one another. It's about a heart attitude that overflows in words and actions. God says, above everything else, it's more important than a good building. It's more important than a great meeting. It's more important than a great experience. It's more important than knowledge of the Bible. It's more important than every possession you have. Fervent love for the brethren what God says what God says in in 2 Peter 1 he says well you've started off on your journey of faith but now add to your faith love add to your faith add to your life you add to your life brotherly love and the love of people and he says and amongst other things you know I encourage you to read it look at it and he says this is what it guarantees if you will add some of the qualities that, that are listed there and add love and brotherly love. He said, this is what it'll guarantee. It'll guarantee you are not unfruitful or unproductive. It will guarantee that you experience kingdom reality in your life. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know what happened to Cain? Cain was marked by God so that no one would kill him. In other words, God still loved him and protected him. But this is what God said. You're going to have some fruit out of this life because you've done such a terrible thing, these are the two things that'll happen. Number one, the ground won't release its blessing to you. In other words, you'll be unproductive. You'll work and you'll struggle, but you'll never enjoy blessing. Second thing he said, you'll be a vagabond. You'll be a person who's lonely and can never build good relationships. Now, isn't that a terrible thing to have? And why did he say that? Because he'd killed his brother. So God still loved him. God still marked him out that no one was to touch him. God set out in some kind of way that no one could touch him. But God said there's a consequence of not walking in love. And here's what it is. You can't be fruitful from a kingdom point of view. And you can't build great relationships. We must embrace being like God is. That's what he calls us to be. We're called to be like him, to represent him, and then to minister his life and power to the community. And it starts in the home. It starts with family. It starts with God's family. And God's family is firstly in front of us. It's us as a church based city. That's the first primary responsibility we have. And then secondly, it's other members of the body of Christ. That's why we can never talk about another church and criticize it. Why would we do that to God's family? 
Why would we release the spirit of murder against them? They're part of God's family. We need to bless them, believe in them, encourage them, help them. See? This is what God calls us to be like. To not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. Because in the spirit, you enjoy wonderful blessings. It's a great life walking in the love of God. It's just